0: Hello, all, and welcome to another episode of the AABIP Podcasts. We have episode 49 now, and uh, we are very fortunate on this episode to be joined by Ehab Badawi. Ehab is a respiratory consultant at Sheffield and uh, is a rapidly you know, growing and prominent name in the plural world, whom I'm very excited to have with me here on the podcast. With Ehab, we're going to discuss really a UK-based approach to pleuroscopy, predominantly, so, Ihab, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. This it's a pleasure. Pleasure's all mine. You know, just let's get started with a few general questions about your plural service and and how it works at Oxford, where you trained, and at Sheffield, where you are right now. So, what does a plural service constitute?
1: Great, thank you. I think that's a great start. So. Um, basically, the, the way we run the service in, in Sheffield is, is is very similar to how um, we run it uh, or the service that I worked with when I was in, in Oxford and essentially um, the patients can either be referred to us um, as an outpatient from um, GPs, either picking up uh, pleural effusions, um, a unilateral pleural effusion on a, as an incidental finding on a chest X-ray, um, or uh, for example, somebody uh, gets a CT scan which shows an incidental uh, pleural effusion um, and then that gets flagged to us or obviously patients um, present to uh, the emergency department with breathlessness and then the pleural effusion is, is picked up um, there um, and then obviously we we uh, gets flagged up and then we we approach it uh, we take it from there so uh, essentially our uh, our service involves first of all um, seeing the patient as what we call a most of us now use this term one-stop shop um, I'm not sure if you use a similar uh, term in the US but essentially what it uh, what it entails is us arranging, obviously, to see the patient, to take a history, to examine, to assess them, um, the chronology of the of the symptoms, conduct an ultrasound scan, and. Um, where appropriate uh, we would do a, an initial uh, diagnostic um, aspirate usually combined with a therapeutic aspiration um, and then uh, obviously if there hasn't been any cross-sectional imaging we would normally conduct a CT um, scan as well um, and then basically depending on what the the pre probability of malignancy or suspected differential at that point and um, we would then take that further um, after that and usually see them back in the pleural clinic with the results um, to then take the next step or refer them directly to the um, pleural MDT or in some cases the pleural MDT is merged with the lung cancer MDT in some hospitals um, for discussion of their radiology and site, initial cytology findings etc. Um, th- in terms of personnel the pleural services is usually um, uh, encompasses a plural uh, consultant um, as a lead. Um, there may be one or two or in such as where we in, in Sheffield here as we're quite a big center, we have three um, plural consultants. And um, then we'll have a, a plural specialist nurse. Um, there may be a plural uh, fellow. Um, and uh, usually we, we we work obviously in a close, um, we have a close working relationship with, with our lung cancer um, colleagues as well.
0: And what about the inpatient side? How do you all manage patients on the inpatient? Do you all have a primary service or is it all consultant-based?
1: Yeah, so so you in in big uh, sort of teaching academic um sort of academic plural centers for example like Oxford and and Bristol so they have dedicated plural fellows who are usually there doing research um plural research and then also support the clinical plural service so they may be the first port of call to address those um, with with centers where where we're still sort of early developing our our, our plural academia such as Sheffield or other Centers that do not take part in plural academia, usually they will go via the um, respiratory registrar or um, a fellow, as I call them, um, on your side of the uh, pond, um, and uh, they will sort of be the first point of assessment, and then they would flag them up to the plural consultant, um, and then usually any sort of procedural diagnostic side would be would be would be consultant led, yes.
0: And you mentioned Plural MDT. So who all participate in this MDT and uh, how often do you all meet? Yep. So um, the Plural uh, MDT
1: uh, usually runs either once a week or once a fortnight. Um, so here we run it once a fortnight. In, 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 in Oxford, we used to run it once a week. That would usually be comprised of the Plural Consultants, the Plural Fellows, um, the uh, Plural Nurse, our um Uh, plural administrator so uh, our secretary um, in terms of arranging uh, follow-up appointments procedures uh, procedural appointments things like that and um, uh, radiologist and what about thoracic surgeons so thoracic surgeons, um, if if we think a case, for example, requires input of a thoracic um, a surgeon, for example, um, in, in, in some cases, well, actually, there, there are usually two um, sorts of groups of patients. There's one which are straightforward, which are, for example, the um, lung cancer mesothelioma patients, those will usually go via the lung and mesothelioma um, MDT. So they will form part from an oncological perspective. If, for example, we discuss a patient in the plural mdt for example somebody with a pneumothorax with a persistent air leak um, for example or a difficult empyema that's not responding to chest tube drainage and intrapleural um, fibrillitic and enzyme therapy who we want to discuss with the surgeon then that we would make that decision together in the plural mdt but then um, obviously one of us would then have to go and either refer to the thoracic surgeon or, or, or speak to them directly but they do not form sort of a regular parts of the plural MDT as such. Um, but from an oncology point of view, obviously they have a regular um, regular presence there.
0: So, you know, the plural service and the system that you all have there seems uh, very well oiled and um, it's not very common in the United States to have that. I think only select centers could boast of uh, plural services like you describe uh, in the US. So just a couple of questions regarding that. The first is what Kind of control do you have on the plural space, and and by that I mean is that does every empyema first come to you, or is there always a, a coexistent thoracic consult placed by a general practitioner? or
1: so, uh, so sure. So the usually what happens is if a patient, for example, um, is suspected to have a pleural infection, then that will normally get raised to the respiratory registrars uh, through the normal sort of respiratory referral system. And then that person will then usually he or she will then usually find one of us as a pleural consultant to discuss um, uh, the appropriateness of the for antibiotic therapies that they're on the other treatments, the likelihood of the diagnosis, the need for a chest and things like that and then they if they've performed the thoracic ultrasound we may have a look at the images with them we may go and see the patients with them but usually very early on the decision making would involve one of us as a plural specialist yes
0: and how common is it to have uh, such um, you know well-conducted and well-run plural service in the UK does every big university and institute have that yeah, so that, I mean, it's 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 a great question, and and we've really, I think, in the
1: last um, uh, decade, really seen a, a growth in plural services, um, and thoracoscopy services around the country. Um, I think most most it would be safe to say that I think most regional units will usually have a named sort of plural lead, um, whether that's person, whether that's someone who's been uh, specifically plurally trained um i mean actually in most cases it'll probably someone who's 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 got an interest who's sort of the named person um to kind of lead on the decision making as obviously the plural fellowships um out out with oxford and bristol there are a few other centers um around the country now that are also providing uh plural fellowships as you know kevin Blythe's group in glasgow um leicester london um so a few other places but but until recently the plural fellowships um as a sort of specific dedicated training um, where we're quite um, we're quite niche so usually it will be a, a, a respiratory consultant with an interest who
0: will who will sort of lead on the service within the institution. I could discuss this with you for another hour I think but you know <laughs> when when I mentioned to people that I'm going to be interviewing a plural expert like you a lot of the demand was to discuss your approach to pleuroscopies. so let for part two of this uh, podcast let's sort of switch gears and talk about your approach to pleuroscopies and what you do at your center. Let's start with the volume. So, you know, how many pleuroscopies do you all do in a month?
1: Yep. So, I think it's. Uh, I would say, on average, we probably do about uh, two a week um, in our in our center, and I think that's kind of similar to to what we used to do in in
0: Oxford as well, two or three a week. So, usually, I'd say about ten to twelve a month. And then, what about your technique? So, are you guys administering sedation yourself, or is the anesthesiologist present?
1: Yeah. So, I think most most places. So, I know certainly us, Oxford, and and I think Bristol are the same as well. We usually give the we usually use awake sedation. Um, but I know there are a couple of centers here and there that that have the luxury of a of a of an of an ETH test, um, with them who do it under on their, under on their GA. But usually, what we do, I mean, I can obviously share our our practice um which is the same practice that i that i adopt here which is what i used to do in in oxford which we would give um we would start with a milligram of of midazolam um at the beginning um of the procedure once we've gone through the safety checklists and all and all of that stuff and then um before we do the um biopsies we would administer um intravenous fentanyl
0: and are these performed in an endoscopy procedure suite or are they performed in the operating room
1: Yep. So in, uh, so here we have a sort of a purpose built um, intervention suite, um, whereby, you know, we have uh, a sort of a, a, a a gowning area we have um, a procedure cabinet with all the equipment we have a resource trolley we have monitors and things like that Um, in Oxford we used to use a theater um, one of the so basically one of the theaters in the operating um, suite had a had a dedicated um, was was dedicated for respiratory intervention so it was where we did all the bronchoscopy and all the pleural work Um, and I think most places will have one or the other um of those um, uh, across the country and i take it that same day discharge is uh, standard right yeah absolutely i think i think unless we're um unless there's any you know need to admit the patient, for example a social reason or for example in 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 patients where we where we perform talc putraj um, then usually most um, cases would be a would be a day case In every case
0: that you administer talc, do you admit the patient? We do, yes. And if you do not administer talc, are you taking out the chest tube in the operating room or procedure suite or are you taking it out in recovery?
1: Yeah so 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 I think most of the time um what we would do is we would um we would put the chest tube in we would put the patient in in recovery um usually for thoracoscopy the standard recovery time is about an hour um and then we would do a a chest x-ray at the end of that um and then um the, just to basically uh, eva- evaluate whether the lung has has come up or whether the the lung is trapped and and as you know you may get a feel of that um during the, the thoracoscopy itself um, although there's not good data behind that, but, you know, as, as you know, things like, you know, very uh, evident plural, uh, visceral pleural rind or, you know, very minimal diaphragmatic movement, things like that may give you a clue. Um, and then basically, if as long as there's no complications, there's no sub, um, subcutaneous emphysema, the patient's comfortable, um, no significant amounts of pain, etc. Um, then usually we would take the drain out at the end of that hour recovery period um, and let them go home with some simple uh, pain relief.
0: Okay. And uh, let's get into a little more nitty gritty. How do you uh, approach a pleural space in case you need to do a biopsy?
1: Okay. Yep. So, um, so what we would do normally with these patients is we would um, would usually see them in clinic uh, first before they come to the um, intervention uh, suite or or theatre. Um, and the reason for that is obviously they would need to have a careful ultrasound assessment first to to look for um, uh, absence or presence of lung sliding. Um, because obviously if uh, as you know uh, if, if, if you know that if there's no demonstrable lung sliding on ultrasound then the chances of of that of the uh, pneumothorax induction um using a buton, uh needle being quite low and and obviously then we would we would prefer to save the person the you know the the the, the need to have to come for the procedure in the in the in the first place um so uh, so that would usually be how we would approach those and then we would if there is lung sliding then we would carry out um, a pneumothorax induction procedure uh, prior to the thoracoscopy.
0: So, use of a buton needle is pretty standard. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, this is a little bit of a rapid fire. Okay, I'm going to get through all the questions that I've been asked to ask you. Yeah, so, no problem. Uh, so, this is, this is another condition that you guys see a lot more than we do, mesothelioma. So, yeah. in a suspected case, how is your approach different, or is it different?
1: Yeah. So that's a. It's a really. Um, Timely question and a really interesting one. So, and I think we're probably kind of starting to change gear a little bit here um, on the back of some of the uh, Glasgow data published um, recently that, that you may have seen, I think it was uh, in, in in lung cancer, where they were obviously, I mean, a, obviously, we know, even before that data, we knew that the cytology from uh, in 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 mesothelioma is very very poor, around six to ten percent. Um, and then in uh, we we know that in in patients with um, with with asbestos exposure, um, uh, or where we suspect um, mesothelioma, either because we can see pleural plaques on the CT, or because the patient uh, has an occupation and, and knows that they've had occupational asbestos exposure, that in those cases there may be. Um, a rationale for proceeding direct to thoracoscopy, we, we've not we, we've not done that yet. Um, but but certainly, uh, I know one of my one of my colleagues is is is, is looking at is is looking at a a, a randomised um, study or or a new part a new way of sort of changing the pathway to, uh, for example, rather than you know, assessing everybody in the same way, which we do, which is to take some fluid off first and that's for cytology, wait for the cytology and then decide on, on having a local anesthetic thoracoscopy, but rather in those patients where you have evidence of malignant uh, pleural thickening um, or asbestos exposure that those patients in those patients in that specific subgroup, there may be merit in just proceeding um, direct to a local anesthetic thoracoscopy compared to the other, compared to the other etiologies of, of, of malignant pleural effusion.
0: Yeah, it's uh, sort of similar to what I do here. I probably see only about three to four mesothelioma patients uh, a year, uh, mm. but there's a lot more TB and in the intermediate TB risk patients as well as in the suspected mesothelioma patients we do a thoracoscopy first approach but i don't think yeah. this is a standard of care uh, across the states either agreed uh, yeah uh but what about you know you, you guys do a lot of research on mesothelioma is is something like intraplural therapies uh, uh something that you'll factor in uh, regularly or is is that still not very much in the research realm
1: yeah, I think that's still very much in the research realm. Um uh, as you know there, uh, we we uh, we haven't um, there were some uh, vector uh, interferon um studies I think it was Trizel I think the Trizel study that we were that we were taking part in um uh, a few years ago um looking at administering um uh, interferon via via an indwelling catheter um, but certainly it's 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 not it's not something that uh, that has breached standard of care and 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 or or being used in the clinical setting um at least in the uk um and to, and to my knowledge not
0: in europe you know you've mentioned there's uh, no standard of care let's go into an area where there is less evidence and more eminence and yeah. even more controversy so what about pneumothorax recurrence prevention is that all done by a thoracic surgeon in your shop or uh, some patients falling to you to perform talc uh, insufflation
1: yeah so 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 usually um and this is um this is kind of UK practice in, in general, um, the most patients we would, if, if they've got, um, uh, where there's pneumothorax, um, recurrence would, would go to a thoracic surgeon. Um, we wouldn't normally be involved in those patients, um, unless, um, they have, you know, they're not surgical candidates, um, or, you know, there's, uh, there's the, the frail person who you come on the ward who's on there second or, or third pneumothorax and then you know if they haven't got a surgical option then we may try and use um, either ambulatory uh, heimlich valves or um, or talc pleuridesis via chest tube or or in some cases blood patch um, pleuridesis as well um, but usually if there's any intervention um, I know there's there's some data on on sort of and uh, the bronchial interventions for these patients as well but
0: but normally um, we we refer them to our surgeons. Just to clarify, this is, you're talking about talc slurry and not encephalation during thoracoscopy, right? Yes, correct. So there is, in your shop, no role for a pulmonologist to uh, do a thoracoscopy in anyone with a recurrent pneumothorax?
1: No. No, I know they do in Europe, um, in, in some centers, um, but but in the UK, we, we don't
0: know. I'm not aware of any centers doing this in the US either. I mean, there, there may be some, but the, the, there are some centers doing uh, what I'm going to ask you about next. So, what about pleuroscopy for emphyema? Yes, yeah, the, that's a it's a very topical one.
1: It always comes up in the in the conferences and stuff. I so I think. Uh, so we so in the UK a few years ago we ran the the Spirit um, study which was a feasibility study which uh, which was, unfortunately was not a successful um, study um, because uh, it was ran from the ran by the uh, by by Rahul Batnagar and in Bristol and what they were looking to do was to assess the feasibility of of doing um, a thoracoscopy in empyema patients but I think what it found was that in most centres because of the nature of how the thoracoscopy service was set up, which in a nutshell, basically because we were not able to, or we don't have the capacity to deliver ad hoc thoracoscopy you know on a, on at short notice you know when somebody comes through that it, that it wasn't going to be um an appropriate option for us to do sort of to progress that to a randomized study looking at the role of thoracoscopy and empyema without you know causing potential significant delays in care and things like that so so generally that's that was something that we so after the spirit study we kind of sort of drew a line um under under the concept of thoracoscopy for empyema um or at least for now
0: is that, again, sort of standard of care across the UK?
1: Correct, yes. Yeah. So there's nobody in the UK who does thoracoscopy for 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 pleural infection.
0: Uh, yeah, I think in the US too, there's probably a handful of people who do that. Um, I mean, most uh, centers that do thoracoscopy do have sort of ad hoc access like I do, but there's also rapid access to a thoracic surgeon in an operating room. Correct. So we so we haven't uh, dwelled into that practice yet, but I know that people are doing it, and and uh, in the absence of more evidence, I think that's something that we cannot call standard of care yet. Yeah, I, can, I would completely agree with that. With it, twenty odd minutes of this podcast, and we've covered a lot of material. They have. So, any yeah. any closing thoughts? Anything you want to touch upon that we haven't spoken about?
1: No, no, it's been it's it's been great chatting. Actually, I mean, I, I guess one thing that. Um, that I'd be interested to to know what what you guys do in um in terms of uh thoracoscopy. Do most do most places do 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 rigid or 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 semi
0: rigid thoracoscopy? So the semi rigid scope has not been available in the US since 2019. I started oh, okay. my plural service in 2019, so I got a semi rigid scope. So mm. all my cases are both rigid and semi rigid. I keep yeah. I keep both uh, ready to go in every case. I think that's the practice in every center that has both scopes. But the okay. the issue with the newer programs is they don't have a semi-rigid scope available to them, so they have to be trained in rigid uh, pleuroscopy.
1: Yes, that, yeah, that's right. Most most places would use would use um, rigid here, um, and uh, and 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 just from from what I guess what I've discussed about the for, in terms of our UK approach to things, what would you say is one of the sort of the the big differences that stands out.
0: Yeah, from the questions I asked you, uh, I think most people, one, take out the chest tube in recovery. I, for one, take it out uh, before they fully wake up in, in the procedure suite okay. um, and expect a little bit of, you know, pneumothorax ex vacuo after the procedure. Um mm. <laughs> I mean, I, I put the chest tube to suction for a you know few minutes, uh, suture, okay. and then and then you know take it out right there. But I think most people do what you do. I also yeah. feel, and again, this is my opinion, I might be wrong, that most people do have access to anesthesiologists. Uh, we also use a, a midazolam and fentanyl based approach, but it's administered by an anesthesiologist and not by us. And occasionally a propofol based approach, but not general anesthesia. I, I think. Uh, apart from maybe you know i can count on one hand uh, everybody approaches thoracoscopy with uh, sedation uh, yeah. but not not uh, i mean the, the term local anesthesia thoracoscopy might be a little excessive <laughs> it's probably yeah. more uh, unconscious sedation thoracoscopy yes
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and and would you do them as day cases as well or do you tend to admit most no no day cases
0: definitely day say. cases yeah in okay. fact we and do them can... at we, we tend to do them at the end of the day because they recover quicker <laughs> all our bronchoscopies or majority of our bronchoscopies are under general anesthesia
1: okay and do you give antibiotics pre-throboscopy we
0: give uh yes we give cefazolin um, prophylaxis unless they have a penicillin allergy Uh, again as you know uh, evidence is (laughs) very poor but that's my practice Uh, i think that's the practice in most centers i cannot speak for everybody yeah
1: yeah yeah it's interesting isn't it because i mean that's exactly what we do but i think there's the only the the one prospective study i think the only randomized study i think uh can't remember who the first author was i think it was duria um i think it was published mm. in yeah i think so too yeah it. yeah the, it was actually there was band, yeah. yeah but i think we all just feel a bit better uh giving that dose of antibiotic
0: absolutely all right i have thank you so much for your time this has been great Yeah, likewise
1: thank you for having me um,